Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. which in Greek means personal excellence. And I'm very honored uh, to announce uh, Dan Uloa, who is our host. And tonight his guests are Rene Kubiatis and Adil Saeed Mohammed. Greetings and welcome, Dan. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Hercules? I'm doing fantastic, juggling, switching everything to the new station, and then creating new shows for this station, so it's been a a busy time. I'm glad that you're continuing with me on that uh, adventure, and I'm sure you have many questions, which we'll answer at another time. Uh, I'll bring your guests on board now. Have a great show. Thank you. They're here. Hey, Renee, how are you? Hi, Dan. How are you? It's good to speak with you. Good, good. Adil is here as well. Hello. Hey, good to meet you on the phone. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the invitation, you both. Yeah, yeah, you're very welcome. Yeah, so please, yeah, tell me about, uh, you know, yourselves then. After you, Renee. Uh, oh, Renee, yeah. do you want to start? <laughs> Sure. Um, so I'm Renee Kubiatis. I'm the executive director of the Anti-Poverty Network of New Jersey for almost four years now. Um, we've been around for over 20 years, and we are a statewide membership organization, and we seek to, seek to prevent, reduce, and end poverty in New Jersey through education, empowerment, and advocacy. Nice, nice. And Adil? Uh, and yes, hi. Uh, I'm Adil Ahmed. I'm the attorney and director of worker organizing and policy at Make the Road New Jersey, which is a worker and immigrant rights center uh, with organizing hubs in Elizabeth Passaic and uh, Put Dan Boy, and we seek to build power for immigrant workers 
through policy innovation, community organizing, uh, and education. Nice. So can you tell me a deal then about some of the uh, fights you've been uh, having recently, and ideally a couple of victories? Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, one big uh, win that we had not too long ago uh, was a bill uh, that for the first time in New Jersey history uh, grants mandatory severance pay uh, for workers at companies larger than 50 um, that get laid off and mass layoffs. Um, it's the first bill of its kind in the country. Uh, it's for all workers at companies 50 or more. And the organizing really started years ago uh, when Toys R Us went bankrupt. Uh, you know, over 2,000 workers across North Jersey were laid off, and it was definitely a pivotal moment of organizing and coalition building. But those workers didn't stop, and they didn't give up. And we just stayed persistent, and we were able to get this uh, pretty innovative bill passed uh, uh, a couple months ago uh, with Make the Road members, United for Respect members, uh, coalition organizations like the Anti-Poverty Network and other folks who stepped up and realized that this was something that was important for workers across New Jersey, especially given these times right now that we're facing in New Jersey and across the country. Um, another big win was passing an expanded wage theft law, uh, which we've been uh, exercising really well in the courts uh, and in the community, making sure that employers uh, pay workers on time and pay them for what they worked. Uh, there was just never really any teeth to the bill and uh, that got passed and uh, we've been, we've been really utilizing it. Oh yeah. That's really great. Yeah. The Toys of Us story is a big issue. You know, we talked about that actually on this podcast, you know, I was oh, talking to Harry Ely's. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about like the issue of financialization, you know, and like the role of these like vulture capital funds, you know, like bank capital, especially, you know, really played in the demise of a company that did not go broke in like the traditional way one thinks of in like Econ 101. That's right. That's right. And that's definitely like a, a big focus of ours is uh, doing that kind of research and understanding. I mean, Amazon, I mean, Toys R Us was one of those examples. Uh, there's lots of, uh, you know, big retailers in New Jersey that are buoyed up by a lot of debt. Uh, whether it's private equity or venture capital or just uh, collateral debt that they've taken out over time, uh, resulting in a lot of weird, dangerous conditions that a lot of our workers are facing. Yeah, I think Payless Shoes, I might have even heard, had some like bad deal like that. Because that was Payless one that's shoes. Like, been going out of business recently. Yep, Payless. Um an example that we've been dealing with recently is uh, American Eagle. American Eagle has a major uh, logistics center in Kearney. American Eagle is one of those uh, retailers that's buoyed up by a lot of debt, like a lot of private equity debt. And they utilize some pretty weird, shady temp agency actors and, and warehouses where you, you never think American Eagle will be there, but the working conditions for the workers there are, are pretty dire. So. Um, we're doing some cases, some lawsuits, and some some organizing around that to try to improve standards. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, it is not fun to work in the warehouse. I know that from personal experience, unfortunately. You used to work it's in the warehouse? It's very backbreaking, quite demanding. Uh, I have in, a lot of, in some of my misadventures. Wow. 
Where in New Jersey or? Yes. Whoa! What kind of warehouses did you work in? What kind of warehouses did I work in? Um. Well, I worked in one. Uh, <laughs> this is actually a really good story. I worked in one, and it was like um, curtains and like fancy napkins and carpets, uh, and that was like a, an interesting job I had. Um, I think I was one of the few and like. Um, People born here in that uh, warehouse, so it was an opportunity to improve my Spanish. And um, it wasn't like the worst job. The job would get like kind of boring, actually. Um, and you know, there was a lot of time downtime. And I was like, I didn't start asking the guys like their thoughts on unions, uh, and it was really interesting uh, in that respect to see like most of them did seem to have like positive views on them um so i had tried to organize uh the place so uh they were they were good guys it's really funny that they nicknamed me a Dan, uh dennis the menace because in spanish it's daniel el Triverso and i'm daniel so it's really funny that way so whoa um very yeah you know it was like a very demanding job you know it's physically demanding you know it's Warehouse yep. is not like a naturally clean place with all the dust and whatnot. Yes, yes. It's not very like intellectually challenging, to say the least. Absolutely, absolutely. It was summer, so it was hot, but uh, oh, wow. yeah, no, it was really okay. interesting that way, like getting like their opinions and like the idea that like I could have organized that into something, but alas, I did not. So, right, yeah, it's just organizing union is no easy task. <laughs> yeah, it's so sure. like the idea of a workers center where you don't have to go through like XYZ paperwork, you know, always like appealed to me, for example, because that is like like the dirty Republican trick over like last 30, 40 years or so. It's like, oh, we'll give them all this paperwork and they have to do this and everything is like becomes like tied up in the courts. XYZ. But then, like a worker center, it's more flexible. Right. Yeah, and no, I'm right. really yeah. glad you guys right. uh, were able to get um, wage theft passed. It is a good bill. Uh, I did uh, do a little advocating on that uh, with your predecessor. Oh, great. Uh, Craig, okay. The great Craig Garcia. Uh, before yeah, he, uh, a good friend of mine, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, before he left for France. Yeah, no, it's really, um, it really dark or kind of like a thing that we were there in the state house um last march and okay. we were trying to get lobby yeah so we were trying to lobby people the legislators in the, in the hallways and we really thought the bill was about to be um passed and it got pulled that day yeah and that was the same day uh cannabis legalization failed too so you know not my favorite day in trenton yeah, I remember it was the end of March. Yes. Oh, around now. It's like the anniversary. Whoa. <laughs> so, but you guys got that done. That was great to see. You know, we had our, our lieutenant governor uh, in an acting governor uh, position, you know, uh, sign that. It's really uh, great. So, yes, that was Yeah, Renee, do you want to talk about hmm? Definitely years I'm in the making. You were saying? <laughs> I yeah, was going to say there's definitely years in the making. <laughs> Certainly. So, Renee, do you want to talk right, about some of the 
fights you've done, ideally victories? Sure. I, I was just going to add, you know, like that we've been really fortunate in the last couple of years um, with a new governor administration coming in um, that we've been able to get a bunch of legislation passed that really helps workers, especially low-wage workers in our state. So um, we've also, you know, obviously got the $15 minimum wage passed as well as expanding the family leave insurance program, passing earned sick days uh, law to reach a lot more low-income workers who didn't have paid days off um, in their employment prior to that. Um, and so certainly um, the uh, coronavirus public health crisis right now just highlights the need for all of this um, this policy to be um, not only passed like the Fair Work Week, but um, to strengthen what we do have in place um, that we've been able to get done in the last couple of years as well to support low-wage workers who are really struggling and will be for months to come. Yeah, we're really seeing that now. It is, like, really, like, unprecedented times that Governor Murphy is, like, all non-essential businesses, like, have to be closed. And I was just seeing, like, I was seeing or hearing, you know, 1,500 people have been laid off from like Newark airport and like thinking of like the sheer like amount of like large facilities like that, like the Prudential center that could be like quiet when they're usually like buzzing, you know, with activity, you know, people working and whatnot. And, you know, it's crazy. And, you know, people are really talking about that, about how a lot of people might not be able to make rent, you know, uh, in a couple of days. And that's really difficult. Right, and we know from the ALICE report, which stands for Asset Limited Income Constrained and Employed uh, by the United Way of Northern New Jersey, that we have nearly 40% of everyone in our state who are considered low-wage employees, working poor, if you will, um, who aren't able to meet basic needs on a regular basis. Um, And certainly uh, unfair scheduling is a huge part of why people don't get predictable pay Um, you know, where they're working maybe seven hours one week and 42 the next, right? And so how do you balance your your bank account and and pay your bills um, when your hours are so unpredictable? Um, And so this this current virus is really just highlighting the deep inequality uh, for many low-wage workers that we've had and has been growing for, for a number of years in our state and in our country. Yeah, it's really true, and it really is so like, unfortunate that way, and it is bad here in New Jersey when it is such like a stark contrast, you know, you can see from places like Newark, and then you go 20 minutes west, like Mendham or somewhere, or especially Corona in Essex County, you know, and you'll see that Milburn, you'll see that sheer contrast in those like. No, it's right. and many of these low-wage workers. I'm sorry. Yep. Go ahead. No, no, no. Absolutely. I was just going to say many of these low-wage workers are women, people of color, right? People who've been um, disadvantaged for for many, many years in our country. Yeah, it's really true. Yes. And it's interesting that you mentioned uh, that about 1,500 workers getting laid off. Uh, at the airport, I think the number they, they found out this morning was about 2,000 subcontracted workers um, are getting laid off. 
uh, and that there will be some relief for them in the federal stimulus bill um, uh, that that was passed early this morning, and details really came out this morning as well. But on the flip side, you know, major companies like Amazon and Walmart are on huge hiring sprees right now. Um, Shoprite and others, Amazon committed to hiring once a hundred thousand workers in New Jersey uh, during this. I mean, I mean, in the country during this pandemic, and thirty four hundred of those workers, they're looking to fill spot here in New Jersey. Um, Walmart also committed to like about 130,000 nationally, um, which just goes to show you just, just how quickly capital, you know, these, these large organizations can deploy capital when they really want to, uh, when they can take advantage of a moment. Um, and those are the industries and those are the workers who also face, as Renee mentioned, also are facing some of the most volatile scheduling practices. So um, it's definitely something that, that should be addressed now, especially as you know, like our economy definitely looks like it's changing permanently. And if we can raise standards for workers in those industries and treat them, you know, essential as if, as if they're essential, like actually treat them like they are important value members of our economy, you know, fair scheduling practices is something we should uh, really pass in New Jersey. Yeah, so let's talk about that then. Like, say, like a fair schedule. Like, how does what does that like look like then? Like in contrast to the way it is now. Yeah. So I mean, so fair scheduling means uh, advance notice of when you're going to work. Um, it means knowing what your schedule is two weeks in advance. It means no more coping. No more ending closing the store and opening up the next day without getting a guaranteed number of rest uh, in between your shifts. Uh, it means the right to be able to build up your hours uh, over time. The right to, you know, if you're part time and you know you wanna you wanna work more than 20 hours a week, you wanna work more than 25 hours a week, 30 hours a week, you should have access to those hours before these large companies hire more part time employees, which prevent you from getting more hours. Um, That's what's happening right now with this huge increase of part-time employees at Amazon and Walmart. None of those workers who are currently there are going to be able to get more hours. They're going to be stuck with where they're at. Um, And it's the idea that, we know, if you decide to change your schedule last minute, that if you're, you know, you you decide to take less than 12 hours, uh, a break, or you decide to you decide to change your schedule last minute in order to meet the needs of your employer. That you should be compensated for your time and your energy with some sort of predictability pay. That you should be compensated if you're changing your schedule last minute because that's that that's money that's going towards paying for a babysitter or uh, paying for care for a family member or buying groceries so that your child or children can be at home by themselves while you're working. It's it's acknowledging that that work that goes into it. Yeah, that's really got to be. That's what we think a fair work week looks like. Nice. Yeah, so that will be like quite an incentive then to make it a lot more fair. Then, and that's interesting. Then bringing up you know Amazon, Walmart. You know those are two like large organizations. They employ a lot of people, but you know those jobs aren't really ideal. But there has right, been a lot right. of organizing around them, not unionization, yes. but certainly victories. Yes, 
absolutely. Um, there's been lots of organizing at Amazon to improve standards. Uh, you know, I'll even just add, like, there's lots of just right now, like, you know, there was a story that just came out on BuzzFeed like two hours ago that shows that a worker at the facility in Edison has coronavirus. Um, and it's confirmed. Uh, some of the some of the Amazon stores where they've confirmed there have been reported cases of, of coronavirus, they shut down the warehouses. And that happened in um, New York City. Uh, it happened in Kentucky. Uh, but Staten Island and New Jersey have actually remained open, uh, even though it's, it, they were reported that, you know, workers have coronavirus there. And, I, you know, so workers are speaking up. They're talking to the press. They're, they're talking about the lack of health and safety in their workplaces. And, you know, I think Jeff Bezos basically told his workers, like, if you have paid sick days or if you have paid time off and someone else needs it, he said, donate your time to someone else. And Amazon pays zero dollars in federal taxes. Just It just makes most sense, no sense. The richest guy in the world is telling his own workers to swap pay time off among each other. It's, it's, and it's because of workers speaking up that we can kind of hopefully change that. Yeah, Amazon is like a really like shady giant in so many ways. And it's so big. Like this guy owns the Washington Post. It's insane. You know, and you know, Amazon Prime is everywhere. You know, Amazon shipping is everywhere. Buy everything on yeah. Amazon. Hell, even I'm trying to get a site and get, like, affiliate money from Amazon. Like, they've, like, right. controlled the game in that way. And it's insane how, oh, there's very little talk of, like, oh, this could be a monopoly. Or how is this bad? When, you know, it really is bad. We can see on a number of levels, like, this guy is so rich and he can't, like, do anything to help these workers. And make it like, oh, you know, sixteen dollars, seventeen dollars. Oh, what? I can't buy another yacht now. I can't have like a right. laughing clown in the in the corner, or a man dressed right. as a chimpanzee, hitting right. symbols with a red hat. Right. No, I I think that's yeah. absolutely right. I mean, listen, New Jersey is one of the ten largest employers as of this year. If they hire thirty four hundred workers in New Jersey, like they're planning to they'll easily become the largest private sector employer within a year. That happened all in less than a decade. Yeah, the company has just grown to like this like enormous growth. And the whole idea of, like, why can't they – why don't they pay taxes is very weird. Like, I guess it's, like, that much of a loophole and Swiss cheese, the tax code, uh, which is a horrible thing and – uh, before uh, a couple of years ago, hadn't been like really changed dramatically since the 80s, and it's among one of the many bills that we need, you know, the new president, knock on wood, you know, next year to work on. Knock on wood. Right. As you were saying, as you were saying Renee, earlier, please. you know, Amazon and so many other companies, Walmart, etc., are providing so many different um, things that. Um, are part of our lives and part of low-wage workers' lives now that it, it really borders on welfare capitalism, right? Um, yeah. Where, you know, if you think back to where the the orange, origins of welfare capitalism in the coal mines in West Virginia, right, um, in the early part of last century, where workers, 
you know, their housing was provided by the miners, their food at the store, all the other things that they bought at the store were provided the, by the coal mining company um, and their clothes, et cetera, right? Um, and so they were left with very little of their pay after they forked over their pay pretty much in the services provided by the employer, right? And, and Walmart certainly has created um, a, a market for themselves by providing lower prices that only their employers, employees can afford. Yeah, no, yep. there's like a famous song that way. It's like, I can't die because I've sold my soul to the company store. That really does speak to that issue back right. in the day. And we really are getting to something like that now. And it really is messed up. And, you know, it really points to why we need one presidential candidate, but that's another story. But, you know, we also at least need Medicare for all. You know, like, it's not even, that was like the worst thing about, like, oh, we'll just spend like a trillion dollars if we're the Federal Reserve to, like, fix the economy. After all, they talk about, oh, it's so expensive, you know, fix health care reform to help people. No, we actually have the money. We just don't want to spend it on the thing you want to spend it on. Ha ha. It's really unfortunate that way because yep. it really wouldn't, like, solve a lot of issues. You know, you have people who have, like, chronic issues. You know, they can't see the doctor, for example, or it's really expensive. You know, I myself have my health care. See, the marketplace, and that's always, like, a whole little fun little game to, like, jump through with a bunch of hoops. And, you know, I guess it's gotten better, and I've gotten better at jumping through the hoops, but, you know, it's certainly not an ideal system. No, not at all. I feel like if this moment teaches us anything is that we need uh, we need universal health care. Everyone needs, and your your health care shouldn't be tied to your job. Um, you should have had health care regardless. The economy just goes ups and down and hiring temp workers and laying people off. Like, it just creates such a strain on society and our health care system, as we're seeing. We can't even handle the overload. That's currently existing. That currently exists, and we just don't have the investment in healthcare that we should have. Right. No, we don't it have really the investment the in anything that we should have. Right. I, I was just going to say that, Dan. So it really points to the need for us um, and our, our decision makers to be looking at policies um, in a com- more comprehensive way, in a way that really looks at all of the basic needs of a person or a family. Right. Um, because many times these low-wage workers, in addition not, to not being able to afford health care right now or all of their health care needs and maybe going without medications or needed services or procedures um, here or there, um, you know, these are people who are housing insecure many times. They're paying way more in their rent or mortgage than they should be out of their income. And so they could be on the verge of homelessness at any time. And many times people are cycling in and out of homelessness and couch surfing because their incomes are just not enough to survive on. And they don't have all the supports to meet all of their basic needs. So we definitely need to be looking at policies in a much more comprehensive way to meet all the needs of a person or a family. Yeah, I would definitely agree on that. Affordable housing is one of like probably the worst issues in New Jersey uh, that yeah, you know, there's very few people working on, you know, I think there's one group, you know, they do uh, good work trying to fight on that, but, like, it's so it's a massive issue and, you know, it really speaks to a lot of, like, some, some of the underlying problems we have in our society. 
such as racism that we have redlining or you know, keeping certain people out of certain neighborhoods and towns. Right, and then these low-wage workers have to travel much farther to get to a decent-paying job, or the transportation isn't there to support that. Yeah. Yeah, everything's a car. Yeah, God forbid you don't have a car around here. You're trying to get to, like, a job, like, even, like, 20 minutes away, 15 minutes away. It's not that far by car, by walking, by bus. It's insane. Uh, It's totally insane, and, you know, NJ Transit, the trains, uh, were ruined under Christie, uh, and that's really difficult, you know, in the States. But actually, if you look at the country, had a decent train system, uh, which says how bad trains are in this country. Uh, quite unfortunately, I do enjoy trains as a mode of public transportation. So. Yes. And I think the the governor's been doing a lot around transportation. I think one thing is for sure, in terms of even just mentioning needing a car or travel time, like that's like actually one reason, one why such a big part of of the Fair Work Week campaign is is making sure that people have enough time to rest in between their shifts. Like giving someone eight hours off isn't enough time. You need the doctors say you need at least seven to eight hours of rest a night. Well, if it takes you an hour both ways to get home. Uh, you're not. You're never going to get those eight hours, and so um, that's kind of you know. Uh, and so when we did surveys, we had about a few thousand surveys last summer that went out um, as part of our research before we launched this campaign, where overwhelmingly uh, workers said that they they want at least eleven to twelve hours of rest in between their shifts, and that they if they decided to work less, that that could be a consensual decision between the worker and and the employer, but they should never be mandated to work without getting their rest. So this is, like, even, like, the worst thing here is, like, you know, eventually, like, you'd want, like, a, like the the line worker, like, the blue-collar worker could at least be, like, a low-level manager and, you know, get, like, a decent uh, lifestyle that way. Uh, and apparently, no, that's not the case now. Is Apparently, this whole idea of a clopening uh, sounds brutal, Especially for a job they probably don't even want to do. It's like, how are these like companies doing this? Like, don't they realize that these people are not going to be doing their best job? I'm surprised that these people haven't revolted and that like things haven't gotten worse. Like the Joker movie, quite frankly. If you're gonna have like like if there's nobody in charge of you in the store, and it's like I gotta be the one like running this thing. No, forget that noise. Right. Right, but many times workers are threatened with being fired. You know, God forbid they should speak up about um, the conditions in their workplace, right? Um, and, and it's probably happened to them many times, too, in the past. Um, so they take it as a real threat when it is made. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's horrible that way. And it really Absolutely. shows, like, the nature of society of, like, how, like, things have fallen from, like, I guess, like, back in the day it was nicer, but, you know, uh, we don't have, back in the day, we have these brutal hyper-capitalist conditions uh, that make it really hard and really show the need uh, for organizations like the APN and uh, Make the Road, for example. Sure, and and these aren't new issues. 
Yeah, I mean, for, for decades now, since the late 60s, early 70s, we've had wage stagnation and this um, demeaning of workers and um, cutbacks in benefits um, and just, you know, damaging the ability of workers to eke out uh, a decent existence, right? Um, so, you know, there, there are several different factors that happened, you know, in the late 60s, early 70s, into the 80s, uh, including relaxing of federal regulations um, with businesses um, and, and so many other things. But one of the things that always sticks out to me is um, around that time, GE was a floundering company. And Jack Welch came in as the new CEO nationally for GE and turned that company around. And other uh, CEOs of major national corporations went to him and said, what are you doing that's so great? How are you doing this? Um, and he basically said, well, I'm prioritizing shareholder profits and I'm driving down worker wages, right? Um, I'm flattening them out. And that, unfortunately, that mindset then um, permeated most of our national corporations and now even has trickled down into the thinking of smaller businesses as well in terms of the treatment of workers and what we can get away with in terms of treat, how we treat workers and how we pay workers in this country. Um, and so that, that unfortunately just has increased over the last few decades to create the situ situation that we have now. Yeah, no, that's no, that was really bad. He died recently, actually, and I remember reading about how they were saying that GE almost fell apart uh, at the beginning of the Great Recession because the company was too much into banks and financial issues, um, I guess lending of the sort, and you know they were really critical of it. Uh, and it's kind of crazy how like there's a certain like cult around like. Uh, Jack Welch, the way there are around, like, a lot of CEOs uh, in this country, right. uh, quite unfortunately. And, you know, in the show, if you, if you remember the show example. 30 Rock, you know, uh, Jack Donaghy, I think, re references uh, Jack Welch uh, in a fond man manner a number of times. Right. So. Yeah, I guess really he is, owns like, MVP, right? In workplace. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was NBC, so you know they were owned by GE. Well, deal. You were saying? No, I was just saying I, the cult of of these uh, the cults are media creates around these CEOs about being like these grand figures who who give so much to society. I think it's totally off. Um, you know, even like the Jeff Bezos story, like. They, uh, what does the company really offer its communities? What are they, what are they putting into it? Um, how are they treating their workers? Like it's, it's, a, it's a branding thing um, that they have been good at, but the reality underneath is, is, is not, not as nice as they try to make it seem. Oh, absolutely. And it, it further... and Bezos. Yes. <laughs> no, no, it's good. Uh, yeah, this is, like, why we should eventually do this uh, in person visually. So, yeah, so I was going to say that the call of CEOs is, like, really, um, like, pervasive around the country. And if you, like, look around, if you just, like, scratch the surface, you realize, like, how bad they are. So, like, Microsoft and Bill Gates, like, Bill Gates just wants to be, like, this benevolent philanthropist or, like, seen that way. 
So, like, Microsoft had, like, a lot of issues with, like, um, gig workers and not really paying their people good money or having their people be, like, 1099 workers, uh, for example. And that was a big issue uh, back in the day. And, you know, it sort of got solved, but not really. And, you know, we have Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is actually one of the best ones. Because this fucking guy just, like, pretends like he's, like, a regular guy living in his stupid house in goddamn Nebraska, <laughs> where he's, like, this evil little wizard where Berkshire Hathaway, like, real estate offices have popped up across the country, like, in the last five, ten years. And this guy, you know, and he plays it really well, because, like, he's not as horribly evil as, like, some of these people. Like, he plays it really well. So, like, he is actually one of the reasons that the 2010... Um, labor bill uh, that had a fun acronym uh, which escapes my name, failed. But he was like but he was like all about like the Dodd-Frank bill. So um, Obama couldn't say it enough. Oh, we're going to call it the Buffett rule. That Warren Buffett what, couldn't pay enough taxes or Warren Buffett should pay more taxes or some like silly little like thing like that. It was the smallest like little policy. And even that, the Republicans paid it. Not that, so the cult of the CEO doesn't even really work that well. But we also, by lifting up these figures, um, we perpetuate this false narrative of the American dream and that you, if you work hard, you can become this millionaire or billionaire, right? Um, right. But yet many people don't realize all of the supports that they have along the way in life. Um, you know, for example, Bill Gates had access to uh, a university that helped him give him the education to be able to do the work that he went on to do. He had access to um, the early computer um, where he worked in his garage and had access to a garage space to do that work and really learn as much as he could to build an, um, an organization, right? Um, and, and so and we don't think about, you know, just the, the, the general supports that we have in life of, you know, I didn't have a family member who became very ill and I had to leave college. So I didn't be, I wasn't able to complete my degree and I had to get a job. Right. Or I, I didn't have to leave high school to start working. because My family needed the income. Right. Um, I, I, you know, had a child early, but I had family and support to provide the childcare so I could complete my education and get into a good paying job and, all of these things, right? So we don't typically think about all of the different ways that we have supports in our lives that help us to get where we are, and we buy into this myth that we did it, we worked hard somehow, and that's how it happens. That's right. Oh, yeah. No, and you I, definitely one thing I want to that. add there is it, it, when Renee was talking about comprehensive policies uh, that really get at solutions that help uplift uh, low to middle income communities and workers, which is really most of New Jersey. Um, you know, when, when we were talking about fair scheduling, a, a large part of our research showed that workers who are working in these volatile, job, volatile jobs where there's lots of scheduling irregularities and it's just commonplace to never know when you're working or for your hours to be changed, that the children of those families suffer the most. Um, they're the ones who can't go play sports. They're the ones who can't join clubs after school. Uh, they're the ones whose parents, you know, can't afford to take them to Kumon classes or get that special computer or tablet. And how if we allow part-time workers to have more stable jobs, 
they could provide better child care by being there themselves, or if they could have access to hours, they could make a little bit of more money to be able to provide those types of activities that the children of those families really miss out on. Right. Yeah, that's going to be, it's really hard because, you know, there's so many like little expenses of even like public school that way of like the club, for example, or going on like a little field trip that really make like these things like great for kids. But, you know, if you don't have that money, that's a difficult situation. That's right. Right. And and so many um, low-wage workers are forced into the gig economy, right, into these part-time jobs because, Again, this culture, that this corporate culture over the last few decades that's trickled down creates part-time work, you know, um, and you can't really get enough full-time hours and people working two or three jobs. But with unfair scheduling, they are then forced into an unfair situation sometimes. We've heard this from some of the workers in the Fair Work Week uh, campaign um, that you – you know, tell one employer, this is the hours I can work for you. You tell the other employer, this is the hours I can work for you. And then suddenly you're scheduled to work on a Saturday or something. And the other employer says, I need you now. And if you don't come in, I'm going to fire you. And you have to make that split second decision of which job you keep. And that's unfair. Yeah, no, that's and it really like even more, more income loss. It's not right. Yeah. Yeah, that's and these really are real practices when you that have are predominant yeah. in those industries. Yeah. You know, in hourly work, that is where you see these just forms of behavior the most. And everyone has a story. Everyone has a story of someone they know who worked in retail, who worked in fast food, who worked in a hotel, who worked in a warehouse, where they had to deal with those types of conditions. It is just so prevalent that it's it's, it's it's surprising to me why it has never been addressed, but it's because of our ability just to organize and to raise awareness that hopefully we'll be able to push something like this along. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you guys are doing great work there. Um, how's the campaign going so far then? It's good. It, you know, it, it's um, you know, we introduced a bill recently, like about a month ago. We launched the campaign back in October. We did like a big press conference in, in Teaneck. Uh, we did an action actually at H&M on Black Friday, uh, which was difficult for us to get some press. We should have really thought about some alternative ways to sort of get some, some media out there. But, you know, uh, workers at H&M uh, on Black Friday in the mall uh, spoke up about scheduling practices at H&M uh, in the mall, um, and we did a bill unveiling event in Trenton, but we had workers speak up, and uh, we are continuing to push it along just to raise awareness of this issue in the legislature to have more and more legislators understand that this is a very important labor bill that will allow more workers to take advantage of the increased minimum wage, of getting more paid sick leave. Uh, instead of creating jobs where people are living in poverty, creating jobs where people are able to sustain their families. Right. Well, it sounds but like we're, we're doing progress. that groundwork of, of educating the legislature. That's where we are. Huh. Especially nice. with well, everything you know, they going are on. ones that need a lot of education, uh, comparable to Aaron's children. <laughs> right. And the well, bill sponsors on the Senate side. 
it is Senator Loretta Weinberg. And on the assembly side, it's Assemblywoman Brittany Timberlake. Oh, nice. Brittany's awesome. She was our sponsor for 15. Yes. Right. So. So you got, yeah, I guess it's kind of like hard now versus, you know, with all this corona thing to say like, oh, we should try to get people to a rally or whatnot. Because, you know, everybody's supposed to be, like, stuck inside at home. Even though, like, 60 people yes. have died, which is not that much. But that's another story. No, um, you're right. It, it definitely forced us to think a little differently about how we're organizing. Um, definitely shifting more online, focusing on Zoom conference calls and emails and, you know, really trying to get this moving. Yeah, yeah. That's another one that's probably benefiting a lot from this is Zoom. Right. Because, yeah, I've been on a few conference calls that way, or webinars are very important, and people are still trying to do something, for example, uh, despite, like, having to be home and, you know, not being in person. Because that's really, like, when you actually start doing some success in, like, organizing, it is really great when you're actually able to fill, like, a room of excitement. And it's like, yes, we're going to get it done you know, people are happy, you know, people, and then it becomes, like, very, like, friendly, hanging out, kind of a thing, and that, I don't think you could really, like, that's got to be really hard then to translate online. Because, like, our technology is good, but, like, there's still, like, a million little bugs with, like, Zoom. And it's still yep. not, like, sure, a human I, connection. Yeah, yeah, but I think, you know, this is a really great time for, um, more workers to come out and support and to share their stories with this campaign and with Make the Road um, to help bolster um, the message for when we do get back to normal life and, and can really be um, ramping up this campaign to move the legislation and get it passed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait till things get back. It can't happen a minute too soon, I'll tell you that very strange times. Hell of a year, you know, we started, you know, we're almost going to go to a war with Iran, and now, you know, society is sort of shut down because uh, of the virus. So, God knows what will happen next. That's right, God knows. <laughs> uh, is there we have a, a, a way chaos. that anyone listening could reach out? Uh, is there a formal way to kind of get in touch with the campaign and um, to help support the effort if there are workers facing these issues? Deal. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I think Renee was mentioning to like uh, the the podcast listeners, or right, Renee? That... No, I was asking if there was a way for um, workers to reach out to the campaign and get involved. Oh, yes, one hundred percent. We have a yes, 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 yes. Um, we have a website. Our website is fairworkweeknj.org fairworkweeknj.org um, can can get in touch with us there. You also can get in touch with us at Make the Road at the Make the Road NJ website. Uh, hashtag we're using the hashtag fairworkweeknj on social media. Tracking that. Trying to share stories in that way. Uh, can send us an email. Can send me an email at adil, A-D-I-L dot Ahmed, A-H-M-E-D, at org, um, But definitely reach out. Um, 
sharing stories is sort of critical right now. So if you're listening and, you know, you can share something on social, on Twitter or Instagram about your story or stories of others you know who are facing unpredictable scheduling hours and, and that impact that it takes on you personally, mentally, in your, in your wallet, in your family, please share it. Nice, yes. I do encourage everybody to do that. Definitely always need more people for a cause, especially a good cause like this. You know, given that we have, like, a decent governor and legislature, uh, it's variously effective. Uh, so it shouldn't be a terrible campaign, you know, but it still is, like, this era of hypercapitalism, uh, and their agents still are everywhere and too bipartisan. Uh, so who... Who's really, like, come out against this, then, that we can shame here? Oh, interesting. So, you know, I wouldn't say we've gotten to the point. Uh, I think we're early on in the legislative process where we can't really say we have any legislators who are against it. No one's really said that they're never going to support it. Um, we definitely know that there are are big industries who are concerned um, about the bill uh, as we you know expected you know the whole time so i think one thing we're really trying to do is encourage legislators in the speak you know the speaker of the assembly uh the leadership of the labor committee uh the, the president of the senate uh the head of the labor committee to really put it on the agenda really prioritize its importance right now i think we're at the point where we want to educate people about it and get them to commit to supporting the bill um, and so that's where we're at. We're focusing on those two houses. Uh, like you said, you know, we have a governor who's very progressive and understands workers. And so our work right now is in the legislature. Nice. So, but like what interest groups though have come out against this and like, what is their argument against it? Yes. Okay. So the arguments that are against this bill right now is, first of all, I should actually be clear um, about the industries we're looking to cover, right? The industry where our research shows us these problems are the worst. Um, and so that is retail, uh, fast food, hospitality, and warehouses. And we're specifically looking at companies that have more than 250 employees. Uh, either in the state, nationwide, it's a global test. It's in those companies where we believe we can have impact the most workers who are facing these, this issue um, and where the employers have the biggest ability. Um, so I just want to sort of frame that because and the reason I bring that up, not as, sort of as a side point, but a lot of the questions coming from industry is, uh, we can't have this apply to us. We can't have this apply to us. And a lot of the concerns are from, you know, uh, small business owners, like, you know, the one one off mom and pop ice cream shop uh, or a pizza parlor where these practices exist and they are really bad. And we know that. Um, but one thing we are also very well aware of is that these larger companies have the technology, have the ability to implement software that can create predictability in workers' lives. And so now that we kind of have like a framework of the employers that we're really looking to cover, now we're looking at, you know, the Walgreens of the world, um, the, um, the Dunkin' Donuts, 
the McDonald's, uh, the Pizza Hut, um, those large employers who uh, don't want to train their managers on scheduling practices. And so we're looking at and the Walmart, the Amazon. Uh, these are the companies that we have been talking about are the ones who don't want fair workers law. They want to be able to move their workers around whenever they want to. Yeah, because it can't be that hard to, like, find a computer program that does this, that can juggle, like, schedules of people, you know, in this day and age. You know, with all this talk of algorithms and Netflix and whatnot. And frankly, I'm sure they can afford it, even though they'll claim yeah, they can't. And, and, you know, fair, a fair, fair, similar Fair Work Week laws were passed in New York City, in Philadelphia, in Chicago, and I mentioned Philly and New York first because those are huge neighboring uh, area regions of commerce that have been implementing the law and where the same companies, the same lobbyists who represent those interests are implementing the law there and we're right here, right here in between. Um, and we're trying to level the standards uh, and make sure that these companies who are already implementing it also implement it in New Jersey. Nice. Uh, you know, another example is Stay Frigo, the frozen food industry. Uh, a lot of those warehouses are in New Jersey. Um, the scheduling practices in the frozen food industry is just, like, horrendous. Um, I think a big reason is because of the demands of a lot of, like, these online food retailers and just sort of business shifting and them figuring out their models that, you know, these are large companies housing all this food are have some pre- Pretty, pretty crazy scheduling practices. I mean, it's, it's really impacting workers in dangerous ways. In Frigo, not too long ago, uh, in the middle of the holiday season, right after the New Year, uh, a worker at that facility, the frozen food industry, frozen food warehouse, uh, major international company, uh, a worker there died uh, uh, while driving a forklift, um, and. They were just really tired. They had worked a double that day. Um, And they didn't get much rest in between shifts. They were doing really dangerous work. Um, And they couldn't, you know, they they, they died. Um, And it's it's that kind of industry where we're like, these are huge problems. And you guys aren't acknowledging this problem um, where where we need a fix. We need a solution. Our whole economy is changing based off of online retailing and food distribution where, you know, if New Jersey is going to be a hub for that, the workers there need, need stability in their lives as well. Yeah, absolutely. So say a free go yeah, no, that was, definitely uh, one of those. No. I'm sorry, you were saying? Targets. I was just saying, say a free go, you, 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 when we were just talking about examples, they're definitely a, an example of someone that we're saying needs to, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's got to be pretty brutal, like, working, like, such long hours. That reminds me of um, the story, yeah, that Tracy Morgan, like, nearly died in a car crash on the turnpike uh, around here because uh, he was hit by a Walmart driver uh, who was trucking for, like, a, like, an insane amount of time because, like, it didn't make sense economically for him to stop. Like, he had to, like, nearly kill himself, nearly kill Tracy Morgan this way. Uh, because of that, and right. you know, it really sucks. You know about like workers' death. You know, it's a really hard issue 
deal with, you know, and it really is, you know, the ultimate thing, death. And that's why you know, our friends in New Labor always feel, you know, there no more workers dying, you know, uh, March every year spring. Yep. So That's right. This, it, we're planning it for just a few weeks away, and uh, we are definitely planning that with them this year. Right. Nice, nice. I've been the last couple of years. It really is great to see and you know march around New Brunswick that way. They've been doing that for a while then. A while, yes, yes. Yeah, you know they do get like a great crowd uh, for that. So it is good to see in that respect. But yeah, these are hard issues then dealing with and it's really crazy yeah I, mean, I know you mentioned the gig economy before that's one issue uh that uh, we've discussed a lot here uh and it's really come to light like the nature of how unequal the gig economy is and how it really does like reflect the rest of the uh economy and the issues like we're facing because you know there was a freelance uh bill in california for example that was really aimed at like fighting the Uber drivers, and then, like, some of these high-end writers who are more like small businessmen were really uh, protesting that, and that's become an issue here in Jersey, uh, for example, that that bill failed uh, before it could be passed uh, last session, for example. Yeah, um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was actually sitting in those hearings in the state house. And when a couple of people got up to really testify about these issues for workers and how they're really being taken advantage of in these misclassified roles as, um, you know, kind of freelancers or uh, independent contractors and things like that, um, there was a large group of, of workers in the room who were misclassified. And as these points were being made, <laughs> I kind of saw their faces, and it looked like they were starting to think about, well, maybe we are being taken advantage of, even though we're here to oppose this bill, right? Um, So I think there's a lot of education that needs to happen with workers who are in these situations, too. Yes. I remember seeing that, too, just all the – it was interesting. I think it was like – I don't know who – organize them but uh, was that like a company union or, or well, I'm not sure but um, I think it was a particular employer t-shirt. and yeah, they ha- we're right, all wearing right. the same t-shirt as well yeah <laughs> the black t-shirts right yeah yeah that's one issue where you see like it makes like so they seem to have like, an innocent argument that they want flexibility and that it would like hurt their business and then you see that they're being funded by like republicans and some of these like really anti-labor interests that are like the same old enemies so you know it really does cover like all the purity of the nature uh that they seem to put out that so they're just like innocent workers uh for example that they can't adapt one way or another, uh, ultimately. But it is really hard that way. What have people been saying, though, that they can't, like, as reasons that this can't go forward, this fair work week bill? 
Um, oh, you mean like in terms of the bill not going forward? Yeah, like what are the arguments against it? Is it going to ruin small business, yeah. you know, ruin the economy, yeah. uh, be the downfall of Western civilization, you know, be, you know, <laughs> get us to socialism? So, you know, one of the arguments that is rebutted by our research, but one of the arguments from the employers is um, employees love flexibility. They want to be able – they want their hours to change last minute. Um, they want. They don't want that many hours. They want to be able to um, sort of be flexible, and that, that, is, one of, that is one of their main arguments. Um, and it's never really backed up with anything. Our, our researchers from thousands of surveys show that um, workers overwhelmingly want, flex, want predictability, and they want a voice in terms of how their schedules are being created. Um, and, uh, you know, but it's interesting when, when employers say that because there's just really no, no, there's no truth to that. Our research shows that the workers in these jobs are people who have families. It isn't just your student looking just to make money to go out on a Thursday night. It's, it's it's the majority of the workers are people who have families and obligations and bills to pay. Uh, and that's the narrative we're getting across. That's one of the big arguments um, is that workers want flexibility. Another argument is um, they just don't have the money to, to, to train their workers. And that argument is also rebutted because they've implemented <laughs> this law in so many places. And if they already have 250 employees, uh, they clearly have the resources to manage all of those employees, which means they have the resources to implement scheduling practices that make things more fair. Yeah, those are always like the two fun arguments that one, first of all, nobody really needs money. You know, they're just doing this for the fun of it. Nobody actually needs this job, actually. It's just like little, like little pocket money which is kind of bullshit on a number of levels because, first of all, anybody who's trying to make money always needs more money in the first place. And, that yeah, like, a lot of these jobs are not being done by, like, fucking, like, like freckle-faced teenagers like they were in some, like, 1950s picture that everybody thinks we live in, which is, like, ridiculous. And the second one is, like, oh, there's never enough money for this. There's never enough money, even though, like, the CEO is making millions of dollars and these guys are probably squandering a uh, quarter of the budget on cocaine and whores uh, and trips to Vegas on, uh, in first class. There's never, there's never any money. Oh, no, can't have any money for this. No. Can't have anybody figure out how to schedule people. No, it's too hard. But meanwhile, these industries and these businesses have incurred huge, huge cost increases in other areas of doing their business over the last 10, 20 years, Right but they've somehow found a way to manage those costs without um, increasing, you know, costs to their customers, like in the fast food industry and other places. Right. Um, but Adil said a moment ago that, you know, that the research shows that workers want this. It's not just that they want it. They need it to manage their lives, to manage all the other aspects of their lives and their family. Um, you know, and, and these are workers who are highly stressed, trying to juggle and, and, you know, get from one place to another with childcare, with transportation, and 
they're they're just at the edge of their breath constantly, um, you know, in mini crises all the time, you know, trying to meet their, you know, match their bills with the little income that they have. Um, and so I, I've been asking as a social worker for almost 20 years, like, how many people do we have in this country who are on antidepressants and anxiety medications simply because of their economic situation? So this is really a matter of mental health and health as well. People are getting sicker, their mental health is declining, um, and, and, and we need to be able to give them the dignity, dignity they deserve. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think people really understand mental health. I don't people uh, think people realize like these issues at all. Like the sheer amount of stress that people deal with, and that it's all part of the stress. Like if like for like a few more dollars, like things would be a lot better that way. Not everybody's trying to be like Al Pacino and Scarface here. Just trying to live like a regular nice life and pay a few bills. Uh, and that even like that's so hard now. And like these companies make it like so hard, and it's really unfortunate. And it really does like remind you sometimes that a lot of the victories that like workers fought were not won by like charming like bourgeois legislatures in like nice suits. You know, it was won by like blood, sweat, and tears, literally. Literally, yep. So it's really funny, actually, that Comedy Central has their drunk history uh, where they have, like, a celebrity drunkenly tell a story of, like, an historical event uh, to a random guy. And they have the Haymarket right, actually, as, like, one of their historical uh, sketches. And it was really messed up, and it was really interesting uh, to see this because they were really, like, frank about, like, what happened in the Haymarket right that people died kind of over BS and that the cops sided with the corporation as per usual. So that's really what they're there for. Most of the time, quite frankly. Even You're though totally they're right, union, man. but they're like the, one of the worst unions. You're totally right that these campaigns are won by workers who are persistent and really put a lot of effort into it and you know, it, it it says a lot. Like, you know, people who've been coming to our press conferences and the workers who've been showing up, like, they're showing up and going to work, you know? Like, they're showing up and then going back to work. And it's it shows a lot of commitment, but it also shows how important this is um, for us to be able to address this and to, and to find a solution. It, it's not easy. People will fight back. A lot of big, heavy industry, you know, paid lobbyists will, will do their work and, and scare legislators and at the end of the day, we really have to show what the real story is. Yeah, absolutely. That's really what you have to do if you're not willing to, you know, go out on the streets and get bloodied or cause civil disobedience. Is really to, like, work on the hearts and minds and really get somebody to understand and empathize uh, with the worker who's struggling, for example. And as we said really earlier, you know, like there are workers the who are threatened job loss and other and, and just other kinds of retaliation, um, you know, and so it can be scary to stand up and speak out. Um, but again, that's that's how we've gotten significant social change in this country is by workers and others who are willing to take a stand and say this is unjust. Unfair scheduling is not just 
and it's wreaking havoc on people's lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's horrible that it'd be like this is wreaking havoc. It's like you know, we we seem to live like in such like an advanced society with like technology and then it's just like now we're finding some of the same issues like over and over again. You know, in terms of like labor issues sometimes. It really seems trying to like make people understand that like a worker should be treated, you know, with some human dignity and not just like a mule. And it's unfortunate that way. So, you know, that's why I'm glad that Makes Roads uh, National Organization, George Bernie Sanders, uh, really sucks that he's not doing as well as he was um, previously. But, you know, it's still um, great, you know, showing people that there is, like, something uh, uh, that's an alternative is possible. And even if he doesn't win this time, you know, it is building a movement. And that's the idea is to keep making progress. Slowly but surely, uh, unless you're willing to go in the streets and get bloody. I mean, he's definitely changed the the, the conversation a lot. You know, we wouldn't be talking about Medicare for all. We wouldn't be talking about moratoriums on rent and student loan payments and canceling student debt and really getting at the root of what's keeping the economy from moving forward. If it wasn't for the the movement that Bernie's been creating for his entire career. You know, now we have other candidates also talking about it, and um, it's got to, like you said, even if he's not the candidate, it's got to, it, it, it's always been about the issues. It's never been, really been about a person. Yeah, it's right, like, exactly. especially Medicare for all, yeah? So Medicare for all is like an interesting issue because it really has gone from something that was like seemingly fringe like 10 years ago to now it's at the forefront of things and people really understand it. So I was actually uh, in Virginia organizing uh, for healthcare reform in uh, 2010 uh, in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, the site of the uh, racist riots a few years ago. Uh, and it was a really interesting place and really interesting time because there were people that really wanted single payer and that didn't seem realistic. The public option seemed realistic, uh, and then that didn't happen. Uh, and that's why Martha Copley is a horrible person. But I digress. <laughs> the idea that this term, single-payer or Medicare for all, which is good branding, incidentally, has gotten to the point where, okay, now we kind of can look at, like, the logistics of it a bit more. And, you know, some of these more seemingly moderate candidates uh, who were in the race, you know, talked about it for example, and that didn't really happen before Bernie Sanders ran in 2016 and connected all these issues to people. <clears throat> before that, they did seem very esoteric and very like, oh, you know, they do it in Europe, but that'll never happen here. Now it's like, you know, why not? Why can't it happen here? You know? I think we, we've, uh, the term socialism has also like really changed, uh, which is like a big uh, thing generally when you're talking about this they just kind of like lost it's like like the fear that people had about it it's like Voldemort and Harry Potter where like Voldemort where Harry and Dumbledore are the only ones that'll say Voldemort because everybody else is like scared of the word and it's like it's just a word man you, you shouldn't be so afraid of it but as I so. said you know like it's really the people who need to demand that these issues are addressed by candidates and by elected officials. And that's the only way 
really get things done. Um, I remember back in 2003, 2004, when I was a master's of social work student going down to Washington, D.C. and standing outside the Capitol for a press conference with Bernie Sanders and Representative Con- John Conyers at the time, who's now passed, um, when they were first, you know, introducing this idea of Medicare for all, like, you know, um, and single-payer health insurance, right? And so it's taken some time for people in this country to start demanding that as well, where it's now being talked about in the way that it is nationally and in the public sphere. And so we, that's why workers need to be at the front of this campaign and have real, the people who are disproportionately impacted and oppressed have always been at the forefront of any major social and economic change in this country. Absolutely. Yeah, that's why I always need, you know, to do the great organizing, for example, that, you know, Make the Road does uh, and that I variously have done, trying to get people out so that, you know, that the public understands that, yeah, there is some mass support behind this. This is a good idea and that people can convince other people and thereby creating like a mass movement that way. You know, that's always what's uh, really important because... You know, these Republicans, they don't really have a lot of people. They understand that. That's why they always try to, like, drive turnout down with, like, uh, voter suppression laws or, like, try to make both candidates look bad so that both sides try to, you know, seem horrible so that their side doesn't care about the horribleness but will still turn out, quite unfortunately. So always showing the numbers is always, like, the best strategy, especially against money. You know, they might have, like, a billion dollars to spend on the campaign, but can they, like, flood the state house? Or can they, like, really, like, annoy, like, a state assemblyman to the point where he relents? Right. And And I think that's the combination. Go ahead. No, I I think, yeah, like you're saying, it's, it's it's a mixture of educating. Once people understand the real story, uh, it's difficult to, to convince them otherwise, you know, um, and that takes years of work. And a large part of the process is even just even getting a meeting sometimes with a legislator can take a long time. And that process, I think, is delayed for a reason. Uh, you know, folks aren't ready for meetings or they need to take meetings with lobbyists or industry folks. And, you know, we have to do protests. We have to do rallies and do press conferences and really make things that, should be common sense, make that part of our everyday conversation and vocabulary to the point where it's a no brainer for everyone. It might be a no brainer for us. For some folks, it might not be. Uh, we think it should be, it's, 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 it's common sense, but, um, and we believe most workers, and we know most workers agree. Uh, it's just a matter of convincing legislators to, uh, to, to not be nervous uh, based off the folks who are whispering fears in their ear. Right. And it's always the combination of data, which this campaign has to show the need for this policy change and with the with the stories of the workers or the people impacted. Um, It's really those two things together that can help sway opinion and 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 get legislators to do the right thing, I think. That's right. No, if I can interrupt. Uh, 
normally we'd be wrapping up uh, Dan's show around now, but the, the, the uh, points that you bring up are, are very important for people to hear. Would you guys like uh, another 40 minutes? I, I think um, I'm good. I don't know if we can. I'm sorry? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm good ending now or soon. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess we'll, uh, Thank you. if you can uh, share your contact information, we'll start with Renee. Renee, how can people contact you and uh, um, enter your world and uh, help you with your mission? Sure. So our website is uh, antipovertynetwork.org. Um, my email address is Renee, R-E-N-E-E, at antipovertynetwork.org. Um, and people can start there. We have a lot of resources, including community resources on our website as well, um, around issues of poverty and worker, low-wage worker issues. Thank you so very much. And Saeed, how can people uh, contact you and uh, uh, participate in what you're doing? Um, so a, a great way to contact me is by email. My my email address is adil, A-D-I-L, dot Ahmed, A-H-M-E-D, at maketheroadnj.org. Definitely check out our website, uh, maketheroadnj.org. Or on Twitter, maketheroadnj. Same handle on Instagram. We have a very active Instagram okay. uh, and Twitter. And uh, uh, we engage pretty regularly on there. So if you have questions or you know, you can DM us or you can, you can tag us and, and we'll get back to you. Thank you. And Dan, how can people contact you in the AWA? Yes, we have our Facebook, the American Workforce Association. You know, we're always um, uh, welcoming people, welcoming posts uh, from our allies, such as uh, Make the Road. You know, uh, media there always posts uh, good stuff, for example. You know, so I think they can find me that way. Okay, fantastic. Thanks to all three of you. This was a very informative uh, show. And um, I'll be uh, contacting you for a uh, new show that we're currently planning uh, where people who are uh, fighting for various uh, causes that benefit everybody uh, can share with our listeners what they can personally do, like uh, which politicians they should write to, um, how they can get better involved in uh, addressing uh, uh, these uh, labor issues that have uh, yeah, arisen in our day and age. So everybody, uh, we're going to be listening to Kellyanna's Artemis of the Hunt, and then we'll continue with the Age of Heroes. Artemis of the silver bow and arrows formed of silver light Eternal maiden of the moon, beloved leader of the hunt She stalks her prey fleet and fast with quiver hung across her back The hunt, her power and her bliss when loose her arrows never miss May I run with you now through the green forest glade Grant me the honor to join in the chase When the curve of my bow is the crescent moon Artemis guide my arrow true Artemis guide my arrow true 
Lady of the wild things and forest nymphs running free. Her bird is the majestic crane, the silver fir, her sacred tree. Goddess of the moon and hunt running towards the morning light. She runs with lion, wolf and bear running free with unbound hair. May I run with you now through the green forest glade? Grant me the honor to join in the chase when the curve of my bow is the crescent moon. Artemis, guide my arrow true. Artemis, guide my arrow true. Goddess of the raging seas, Stirs the waves with a silver leash And with a cry and mighty roar She hurls them fast upon the shore Moon maiden rides the night sky In a chariot drawn by four white stags She sets down in a hidden place And calls her maidens to the chase May I run with you now through the green forest glade Grant me the honor to join in the chase When the curve of my bow is the crescent moon Artemis guide my arrow true Artemis guide my arrow true May I run with you now through the green forest glade Grant me the honor to join in the chase When the curve of my bow is the crescent moon Artemis guide my arrow true 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 Greetings and welcome to the Elysium Project. I am Hercules Invictus, and this will be our last um, show using our old format. Starting next month, we'll be on a new station, and we'll have a new format. So uh, let me introduce myself first. As I said, I'm Hercules Invictus. My Olympian mission is to promote lifelong personal development, human empowerment, out-of-the-box thinking, creative self-expression, and a dedication of one's unique talents to community service. All of my labors in this lifetime celebrate the hero's journey in myth, legend, spirituality, popular culture, and in daily life. I firmly believe that the human spirit is essentially heroic and always seeking ways to express its innate nobility and greatness, and that a life fully lived dedicated to actualizing the highest we can conceive is the noblest expression of human existence. Now, my life, um, such as it is, is governed by a vision, which I call my primal vision. This waking dream sequence, first experienced in my early childhood, has accompanied me, guided me, and informed me throughout my life. The vision is as vivid today as it was when it first came upon me. And as I progress through my earthy sojourn, the ending becomes increasingly more vivid and clear. And I will share my primal vision with you right now. I glimpse the top of a mountain shrouded in mist. 
Hovering on high, I can discern the ruins of an ancient Acropolis complex in the timeless light. I wait alone, formless in the silence. In time, a lone figure, powerfully built and clad in the skin of a lion, makes his way toward the abandoned temple of the highest. His hair and beard are still mostly brown, though streaked with white and gray. In his right hand, he wields a knobby club studded with bronze. My consciousness enters this figure, and henceforth I see through his eyes. I know that I am now Hercules, son of Zeus and progenitor of my line. Entering the falling structure, I move through it unerringly until I reach a rectangular stone table, a long neglected altar to the Olympians. Upon the altar is an antique horn from a heavenly bull, I tell myself. I then realize that I've been here many times before and that I know exactly what I must do. The horn is of monstrous size and etched with arcane glyphs. Some of the etchings are inlaid with silver. I put down my club, cautiously lift the artifact to my lips, then blow into the smaller end with all my strength. The bellowing call echoes through the firmaments. With a horn of summoning still in hand, I exit the temple and peer purposefully into the murky skies near where I myself once hovered. I can detect faint presences, spirits that have answered my summons, who will help me in carrying out my Olympian mission. Some take on form while others remain formless. But this I know, all who have responded will assist me in some unique and important way. And with this realization, the vision starts to fade. I am blessed with a brief glimpse of the ruins restored to their former glory. The sky is lambent, blue, and clear. There are mythic beings engaged in joyous activity, I myself among them. And I realize that this is Mount Olympus, my eternal point of origin and return, my heaven, and my soul's true home. Just like we started with a song by Kaliana, we will continue with another one, this time called Warrior Queen, and then we shall return.
To the Elysium Project. I am Hercules Invictus. And what is my Olympian mission, you may ask? Well, part of it is bringing forth a new age of heroes. Within us all is a unique greatness. All of us were granted divine gifts of birth, and a grand destiny lies ahead for anyone willing to follow their own calling. The age of the victim is finally over, and the age of the hero has dawned. The way of the hero posits that one must utilize one's individual strengths to make one's world a better place. One need not be perfect or operating from ideal circumstances either. Are not the heroes that inspire us often tragically flawed? Are those lives they live not in a state of flux and full of uncertainty? Does this prevent them from attempting and accomplishing great things? Our Age of Heroes initiatives have harnessed the creative energy and focused the attention of many heroic individuals with radically diverse backgrounds over the years, directing it towards improving the collective quality of human life. The Age of Heroes welcomes secular, interfaith, and interfaith participation. As with the Argonaut expedition of old, the champions of different and sometimes warring gods are invited to partner with the champions of humanity to face great challenges and accomplish something that will benefit the world we all share. Now, this is a Wednesday show currently, and uh, what will continue on Wednesday is day of each month, CAC Young with the Path of Areti, and the program, The Art of Healing. Areti means personal excellence. The second Wednesday of the month will be Astrid, the path of public service, 
and her shows will include The Sussex Report, The Four Elements, The Domino Effect, and as part of the Path of Arati, Proactive Wellness. The third Wednesday of the month will be Bill Waitman, and on his path to public service, we have the Eye of Northern New Jersey, and on his path of Arati, the Four Post Arena, which will be a new show about boxing. On the fourth Wednesday, Dan Uloa, his path of Arati is the AWA Report, Common Bonds, and Meet the AWA. And then on the fifth Wednesday, another new show hosted by Julie O'Connor, and it's going to be a Path of Public Service show, uh, Champions of Arcadia, and sometimes uh, Tenafly Talk, which will focus on local uh, politics. Now, we will be addressing, um, in addition to uh, those uh, areas, the field of labor more intensely. Our dreams are important. They guide us toward a better tomorrow. Yet it is what we do now in the present moment that determines if our dreams will ever come true. If you're a listener, I'm assuming that you're motivated to move forward in life and are determined to create a better future for yourself and your loved ones. I suit you. And now, let our adventure continue. The quest for one's purpose, one's calling, one's true vocation is often a lifelong pursuit. Each job each volunteer experience, each action we take towards self-improvement and skill acquisition is a step forward in this never-ending journey of self-discovery and self-expression. Though it may often feel like you're alone during times of uncertainty and transition, it is important to realize that you are not. We are all on this quest together, whether we are self-employed, working full-time, part-time, or not at all. Perhaps we can assist each other on this life-changing adventure. You are hereby invited to join our fellowship by listening to these uh, podcasts. Uh, We'll be launching Destiny Quest on Sunday to better align ourselves with opportunities that can help us establish ourselves in the context of our current communities and our current situations. Aside from what I'll be sharing there, we will be um, doing something on social media so that people can interact in that uh, way as well. So please feel free to explore whatever we put forth and to participate uh, and let us know what it is that you're looking for in your quest. It's my personal belief that our greatest assets arise from our uniqueness and that it is our responsibility to claim our own personal power cultivate our unique gifts, and dedicate them to the betterment of our world. And now for another song by Kellyanna, who will be joining us on our new station and our new shows. This one is called Black is the Color. True love hair, his lips alive. 
Project. This is Hercules Invictus, and uh, as stated before, we're starting on a new channel uh, with uh, new shows, an evolution of the shows we've been doing here, and we will be having new shows on CERN as well in the very near uh, future. Um, part of it, as stated before the break, will be vocational. Uh, what is your right livelihood? What is your destiny? What is your calling? Uh, I'm inspired by the myth, The Choice of Hercules. Uh, the Choice of Hercules is a tale that was preserved by Xenophon in Book Two of the Memorabilia of Socrates. And you can read that free online uh, if you Google it, and it'll take you to several uh, links. Uh, it's greatly inspired the early Stoics, and it serves as one of my guiding myths. 
In summary, before the Theban Hercules started his mythic career, he took some time to contemplate his future course of action. While he thought things through, he was approached by two imposing female personages, Areti and Kakia. Kakia promised him an easy path, filled with life's greatest distractions, but devoid of all sense of personal responsibility or social conscience. Areti promised a path full of uncertainty and hardship. She offered him a difficult future that fully embraced personal and social responsibility and demanded unceasing action, even when no reward was promised and no relief was in sight. Though no doubt tempted by Kakia, Iraklis knew the life's greatest attainments were reached by discovering, cultivating, and sharing one's unique gifts toward the betterment of all. He embraced his best destiny and freely chose the path of Arati. His many adventures immortalized him in human memory and earned him a place on Olympus. Although Arati is usually translated as virtue, it actually means personal excellence. And though Kakia is said to have tempted Hercules as vice, she actually tried selling him the option of reaping unearned benefits through the exploitation of others. Although the choice of Hercules is told as a one-time event in our hero's eventful life, in truth, we are always at a crossroad and always confronted with key choices that determine our destiny. In honor of Thebes' greatest hero, I resolved to choose my future courses of action as wisely as my deepest insights and highest perspectives allow. I will forever strive for personal excellence by discovering, cultivating, and sharing my own unique gifts toward the betterment of all. And now for the Pipes of Pan by Dave the Bard. The best skin of the earth 
I'm Hercules Invictus. Uh, In our new programming, we will be sharing resources uh, more than we did in our uh, previous iteration. And I'm going to start by sharing some now. These are some resources that helped me in my journey. Uh, One is The Strangest Secret. The Strangest Secret by Earn Nightingale launched the Learning by Listening Revolution in 1956. Pre-recorded audio education has been with us ever since and remains a thriving and viable industry. Thank you, Earl Nightingale. Um, This reviews for the video version of The Stranger's Secret, featuring the author himself, who passed away in 1969. Reviews of the audio and book versions will follow. Decrying the vast human potential that is lost by blindly following our society's life script, Earl Nightingale encourages his listeners to think for themselves, determine what they really want out of life, 
seek out the best information on attaining it, then direct their time and energy towards getting there. If you choose to follow an established path or even expert advice, make sure it will bring you nearer to where you yourself wish to be. Earl Nightingale considers everyone engaged in this process, regardless of where they currently happen to be in the path of attainment or radio success. He also considers self-image and attitude as equally important factors in manifesting a desired reality and suggests that you immediately start thinking of yourself as being who and where you ideally wish to be. Uh, the Strangest Secret can be found on YouTube and also can be found uh, on the uh, Internet for free. Uh, there are also versions that you can purchase and hold in your hand. Another resource I'll be sharing today is What the Bleep Do We Know? How real is reality? How much of what exists can our senses perceive? How much of this input can our minds actually process? How much of what we experience is colored by our conditioning? How much is influenced by our past experiences and expectations? What the bleep do we know is a fun exploration of these and many other existential questions. The lens we are led to examine these topics through is primarily but not exclusively theoretical physics, quantum mechanics, the nature of time, the emptiness of matter, and the dramatic response of water molecules to human thoughts are just some of the other topics visited on this journey. Amanda Marley Martin, whose adventures we follow, is a deaf photographer who has become bitter and cynical about relationships, religion, and life in general. She feels victimized and suffers victimization until her personal outlook changes. Her friend Jennifer, in a series of unusual encounters, lovingly challenge her entrenched beliefs and offer her more expansive perspectives. And her life is gradually transformed into one of greater joy, potential, and possibility. A dozen or so scientists, philosophers, and mystics provide a lot of thought-provoking information through the film. Animated sequences help you visualize the concepts they are introducing. The message of this movie is phenomenally empowering. Reality is an illusion that we ourselves create, and our control over this illusion is much greater than we currently imagine. This film is well worth watching, and the material preserved is well worth pondering and playing with. Um, that is a sample of the types of uh, um, resources that we'll be sharing on future shows. And we have time for another Dave the Bard song. Let me find one here that we haven't played today or recently. Here's one dedicated uh, to Hecate, but it's David Wheel.
Greetings and welcome back to the Elysium Project. I will be closing the show now. There's nothing else to report. Uh, Thank you for joining us. And uh, I'm looking forward to adventuring with you on our new station and through our new shows. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid.